Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the main campus. And 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. If you're watching by way of video today or on one of our television stations, thank you so much for watching. Great to have you as well. Take your Bibles out. Turn to uh, Luke. I'll tell you what. We're gonna, we're, I'm just going to tell you the story. So turn over to Genesis 39. You can hold your fingers there. And uh, we'll start with Genesis 39 this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. You are so incredible. Thank you, God, for your many blessings in our life. I pray, God, today that as I bring forth your word, you'll open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. I pray there'll be anointing of the Holy Spirit of God over your word. I pray, God, you'll begin to work in us and open up our hearts to have generous spirits unto you. We love you, God. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. We're in a series entitled The Genius of Generosity. And, and it's not about oughts and shoulds, and it's not here. I didn't want to bring you in here to put a guilt trip on you or manipulate you in any way to become givers or to become more generous. But being generous is genius. It's absolutely the most exciting way to live your life. It is the ultimate win-win situation. When you bless somebody else, they win because you're a blessing to them. Uh, But when you begin to give and when you become generous and you give into God's work and God's kingdom work and and you're blessing other people around you, you're the ultimate winner. It's an exciting lifestyle to live. When you are generous with your time and your talents and your treasures, uh, people you touch are blessed and you become blessed. And it's an exciting lifestyle. And we read last week that when you are single focused, when your eye has a single focus, it's like a light goes on inside of you and you become attractive. And people want to be around you. And you bless everybody around you and you're a blessing because that light of Jesus Christ is shining so bright in your own life. In fact, if you're only investing in right now, you are making very poor investments because this life is so very short. And one day it's all going to be gone. And so the Lord gives us these instructions and these parables and all these teachings in the word of God to teach us how to make better investments for the future the ultimate win-win situation. I want to open with a story that Chip Ingram actually tells that happened in the church he was pastoring. And so let me just give you a little of the quick backdrop. One of the chairman of the elders came to Chip one day and uh, he was a very wise man. He was over the elder board. He, at this time, he's probably in his late sixties. His name was John. And Chip had been pastoring that church for about a year to a year and a half. And uh, John comes up to him after one of the elder meetings, puts his arm around Chip and says, You know what, Chip, I have, uh, uh, I've been watching you. You're doing a great job. And I'm getting up in years. I don't know how many more years I have left on this earth. But I love God. And I love God's people. And I have this desire that God has placed in my heart to bless other people. And God has richly blessed me. And I have plenty of resources. uh, But I'm downtown. And and this was right outside of Dallas. He says, I'm I'm in downtown Dallas. I I work in a high-rise office. I'm surrounded by glass walls and and look out over the entire city. and, uh, And I've got all kinds of business going on. But you're at the church. 
and people come to you and they bring needs to you. And the little lady comes riding up in her station wagon, a single mother with four kids in the back of the wagon. And she's desperate for food and she's desperate for someone to help her with her bills. And, uh, and so I've got this desire and you've got the opportunity. And you know the needs and you know what's out there. And I like to cut a deal with you. And here's how it works. I got a checkbook right here. I'm going to give you my checkbook. And in it, there's some discretionary funds. And at any given time, they will range between three and $5,000. And I just want to give you the checkbook. And you be my eyes. And you be my ears. And you be my heart. And wherever you find a need or wherever you think there's something that I would be excited about giving to, I want you to take that and I want you to write out a check. And I want you to meet that need. I'd like to help. I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And I want you to manage it. I want you to take care of it. I want you to meet whatever need you see that comes up. But, but there's one condition. When you give out the checks, when you give out the money, don't tell anybody where the money comes from. And so when that single mom comes rolling up in that station wagon, just tell her God's paying this bill for you. God's taking care of it. Here, I want to bless you. And wherever you see a need, he says, go crazy. I just go crazy. Bless people, help people, minister to people, put the money where God can use it to love people. Now, that's an incredible story. And and so he began to do that for the next several years of his life while they were there in that church together. Incredible story. And Chip makes an observation. He says there were three things that happened as a result of this kind of business relationship I established with John. And here's what he had to say. He said, first of all, I begin to ask myself, where would John want me to put this money? Who would God, who would John want me to bless today? What kind of need would John want me to meet today? And, and so if there's a young girl that comes in and is pregnant and needs help and is in trouble, is this something John would want me to be involved in if someone else is struggling along the way? And so every time he took that checkbook out and began to make a decision about who he would help, he was always asking himself the question, what would John want me to do? And he says, because of that, he said, John and I were friends before this arrangement began. But now after the arrangement took place, I found myself always thinking about John and what he would want and how I could best invest his money. And then he said, the second thing that happened, he says, I became much more meticulous about balancing John's checkbook than even my own. Because it was John's money. And I didn't want to come up when we met a few months down the road and begin to talk about all the people we were able to bless and say, "Uh, John, I've got bad news for you. I've come up about $300 short. Can't tell you where it went to. Don't know who we helped. Don't know what we did. He said, I was much more meticulous about keeping John's finances than I was even my own. And I started, found myself communicating with John more and more about where his money and where his resources were going. And then he said the third thing that came out of this is he said, actually, uh, John and I became the very best friends because we were always dealing together. And he says, once a quarter, we would get together and he'd say, come on downtown, come on up to my, my, uh, my office here and let's talk about where the money's going to. Let's talk about who we helped this month. Let's talk about who we're reaching out to and, and, and what's happening and give me an update. 
And he says, he'd invite me over for lunch. And he said, lunch wasn't Arby's or McDonald's. He said, let's go up to the top of the building and eat at the restaurant up there. It gives you a great view of the entire city of Dallas. And he'd get the menu out. He'd open up the menu and says, listen, you've got to try the lobster. The lobster is absolutely phenomenal here. I'm buying. You treat yourself to some lobster. I want you to have all you want. Oh, and by the way, the fillets are incredible. You need to get one of those fillets for yourself. And I want you to eat lunch with me. And let's eat together. And he says, we, and he says, they would celebrate and he would begin to share the stories of the people that would help and John's eyes would just light up. He'd want to hear more stories and more of, of what was doing and who was being helped through the kingdom of God. Now, that's kind of the way their arrangement went. Some of you are thinking ahead of me. You're already beginning to connect the dots and it's coming together. And, and so you've got to ask yourself a few simple questions. Why was Chip so faithful with John's checkbook because it was john's money wasn't his own he was accountable for it he was accountable for the way it went so he became very very meticulous about how he kept the checkbook why did why did john and chip become such good friends uh, because they got together to celebrate on a regular basis uh, uh, of what chip did with the money and how he spent the money and why did chip think about john all the time because they had to figure out what john how john would want the money best spent to be generous and help other people. Now, what I've described to you in this very true story is the essence of stewardship. Everybody say that word with me, stewardship. This illustration, this story illustrates the principle of stewardship. And it is simply this, and I want you to get this. If you get nothing else, get this this morning. God owns everything. You are simply managers of God's stuff. It's all his. It's all his in the first place. You are his money manager. You're his time manager. You're his relationship manager. You're his talent manager. You are the manager of all God's stuff. But get in mind, God owns it all. When I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I say, God, I'm yours. My life is yours. But with that comes everything else in the package. Uh, that, my friends, is the meaning of the word stewardship. In Psalm 24, let me just give you a few quick verses to back this up. Number one, listen to uh, Psalm 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein the earth is the lord's everything everything and every person who walks on the planet belongs to god listen to haggai 2 and 8 the silver is mine the gold is mine says the lord of hosts now that means the silver the gold the money in your bank account god said it's mine it's mine. The money in your IRA. God says, it's mine. The money in your 401, 403, whatever numbers you want to put together. God says, it's mine. All of it. All the silver, all the gold, everything. Mine. You say, 
wait a minute, time out, pastor, you're going too far. Listen, I work for that. I went to college. I got my degree. I got this job. I've made the investment decisions. Uh, I've, I've earned that money I work for. Listen to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Uh, everything you got originally came from God in the first place. Every ability, every capability to earn uh, and build up resources comes from God. The power to earn wealth comes from God. Uh, and so it's all his. Second Corinthians six nineteen and 20. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Now listen to me this morning. This is exciting. When you get God's ownership, when you get that down from your head and into your heart so it affects your behavior, it will revolutionize your life. You, you are going to be on the most exciting journey of generosity you ever traveled. Uh, and, and, and I think we say this, we come to church and we say this every week and we proclaim, yeah, everything's God. It all belongs to God. But so often it's just in our head. It's head knowledge. And we believe it intellectually. Uh, let it get down into your heart and spirit and affect the way you live your life. And when it goes from the head to the heart, you'll begin to ask, how do I need to spend God's time? How can I best invest and spend God's time? You'll ask yourself, how do I spend God's money? What's the best investment of God's money? You'll ask yourself, how, how do I treat God's family? You see, how do I treat my wife? Because my wife, the Bible says, is a gift from God. How do I treat my children? Because the Bible says children are a heritage of the Lord. And so how do I treat my kids? And how do I treat my family? And how do I treat my employees? And how do I treat my employer? Uh, and all these things have been entrusted to me. Uh, and so when I realize God owns it all, and I get it just out of head knowledge, and I just don't come to church to say that on Sunday, Jesus be the Lord of all, now I'm living it out. It's living out in every practical part of my life my friends that is stewardship and it will revolutionize your relationship with god that all changes because now he he's always in your thoughts what would god want me to do how would god want me to spend this where would god want me to go and on and on it goes the word stewardship is a from a greek word called oikonomia oikonomia everybody say that oikonomia uh oik uh, and it's from the word oikos, and it, and it literally means house. And the word oikos means house, and so it, it carries the idea of managing God's household. Managing God's house. Uh, turn to Genesis 39. Let's look at this. This is an interesting passage. It is the story of Joseph. And uh, I think Joseph really illustrates biblically in the Old Testament this whole stewardship principle. Joseph, as you know, he's a brother who was a dreamer, and uh, he was loved by daddy, and his brothers got jealous, and they sold him into slavery. And he goes down, and he's delivered by the Midianites uh, to Egypt. And there he is bought in Egypt by a slave master or a slave owner called, his name is Potiphar. Potiphar's a wealthy man. Potiphar has much, and uh, he owns slaves. He has a lot of possessions, has a lot of finances, has a lot of resources. And so he buys Joseph. And Joseph is such an outstanding young man, uh, blessed by God, that he recognizes the favor of God on his life. And so he makes this deal 
deal with him. He says, Joseph, take care of my stuff. You can handle it. And so let's read it. Let's pick it up with uh, Genesis 39 and verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer, manager, steward of his house. And all that he had put in his hand. Look at this. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, he, he absolutely gives this servant, gives a slave power of attorney. Here, I, I, your blank checkbook. You take care of the house, the finances, the land, all the rest of the servants. The, you run my entire business. You run my entire house. And, and what happens is you see Joseph was favored by God. And because he's blessed, uh, Potiphar's entire household is blessed. And yet notice, Joseph never loses sight of who the owner of the house is. He never thought the stuff was his. In fact, when he's tempted uh, and Potiphar's wife comes along and says, You, Joseph, come on over here. And he's all by himself when he had opportunity standing right in front of him. The Bible says, First of all, how can I do this thing against God? But I will not do this against my master. My master has given me everything in the house but you. And I know the master owns it all. And so once again, he says no. He runs away. He flees out of there. But notice he is blessed. Joseph is blessed. Potiphar's blessed. What do we have? Generosity. Stewardship is the ultimate win, win, win win proposition that's why it's genius that's why if you really want to be smart become a giver become generous and that's the whole idea of this stewardship thing now look at look at first corinthians chapter four i want you to go to the new testament look at what the apostle paul says first corinthians four verses one and two let a, let a man so consider us, and this is how Paul considered himself, a great missionary uh, traveling all around, uh, just, just so much of our theologies comes from the Apostle Paul. But let, him, let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, there's the word steward for stewardship, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards uh, that one be found faithful. Paul sees himself in kind of a dual role. He says, I see myself as a servant and I see myself as a steward. He uses two words. Uh, I am a servant or a house slave. I belong to my master. Who was his master? God. I'm, I'm simply a house slave, a servant of God. I'm here, put on this earth to serve God. But I'm also a steward uh, because God has entrusted in me the mysteries of God, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, and I'm responsible for getting that out. And so I am a steward of all the mysteries of God. If you want to be a steward of the mysteries of God, you can't become a steward of the mysteries of God until you know God. And you can't know God if you're trying to serve God and mammon. 
He says you'll either hate one and love the other. You'll love one and hate the other. He says you can't serve both. And so once God knows where your heart is, uh, and what's it, what we say learned last week, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Once he knows where your heart is, then he can entrust you with his resources. And he can bless you. And you can be used to be generous to touch other people. And then when you understand that God owns it all, you're checking with God on how to use his time, your talents, your resources. You're becoming very close to God. And then what happens is he not only gives you stewardship over his material stuff, which really doesn't matter a whole lot, but now you become a steward of the mysteries of God. And it becomes just an incredibly even more exciting journey that you are on. Stewardship, the stewardship principle. Now, I want you to look at the wisdom of stewardship. And we're going to spend most of the rest of the time on Luke 16. So everyone turn there. Luke 16. And we'll begin with verse number 9. He said it's required in a, in, in a steward. Verse 2, I read it to you a minute ago. That a steward be found faithful. If it's required that a steward be found faithful, that's why God gave us so much teaching in the word of God over how to handle finances. There's more in the Bible on stewardship than salvation, than heaven, than hell, than anything else. Because he says, we've got to be found faithful. How can we be found faithful? We don't know what to do. Well, we're going to share it now from the word of God. Look at Luke 16. He talks about why stewardship is the wisest way. I won't read the first six verses. Let me tell you the story. This is, this is probably one of the strangest parables you can find in the word of God. Because the way it ends up, when you get to verse number 8 and he hits you with that verse, you're not expecting to read that. Uh, Let me give you the backdrop to the story. The the man has a manager, a steward over his household goods and possessions, and and, uh, he's running his business, the owner of the company. The runner, not the owner of the company, but the steward, the manager of the company. He's the business manager on site. And the problem is, when the owner comes back and he meets with this manager, he finds out the guy is way over budget. He has spent money like crazy. He has wasted money. In fact, the owner calls him a wasteful servant, a wasteful steward. You have wasted a ton of money. And in the words of Donald Trump, he looked at him and said, you're fired. His toupee was all there, all kind of pulled around. And the owner comes back and says, you're fired. You got two weeks to clean out your office. Get out of here. You wasted all my money, my goods, my resources. I don't know if you've been embezzling. I don't know what's been going on. But you're way over budget. You're fired. And so the steward is faced with dilemma. What what does he do now? He's going to be unemployed in a couple of weeks. And so he's thinking to himself, what are my options? Well, I can dig. They're hiring over at the uh, uh, maintenance facility. They're hiring in the landscaping yard. And I can dig. I can dig trenches. I can dig ditches. You know what? I'm getting too old for that stuff. My back's going out. I can't handle the shovel anymore. There's no way I can take a job like that after being a business manager. And, uh, and I can relate to this guy. I just got back from Nicaragua. 
And I got to lay blocks there and I got to haul blocks. And, and the older I get, the harder it gets, the heavier those blocks get each and every year. And so he says, I'm too old to dig. And then he says, I could beg. I could stand on the corner out there on uh, 17A and the road that comes out, I could hold the buckets out and say, give money to the kids. I could take that money and put it in my pocket and uh, I could beg, but he says, nah, I can't do that. I'm too proud. My family would disown me. I'd be rejected. I'd look stupid. And so I'm not about to beg. And, And then he says, ah, it hit him. On the way out the door, I'll cut some deals. And so he calls the guy who owes so much wheat. And he says, you know what? Hey, you know that all that money you owe this guy, he's still in the office. He's still finishing out his last couple of weeks. He says, you know all that grain you owe the guy, just take it and cut it in half. And he says to the guy that owes him oil, you know all the oil you made, you owe 100% on that. Know what? You know what? Let's take. I'm going to give you a 20 percent discount off the top right now if you'll pay it within the week. And so he begins. What he begins to do is is uh, he begins to cut deals with all those around him. So so now we know the guy is wasteful. The guy is dishonest. Uh, the guy is uh, selfish because he's only looking out for himself. Now I'll jump down to verse number eight. This is what I want you to see. So the master commended the unjust steward. Because he had dealt shrewdly or wisely. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, can you imagine the guy's a shyster and the master commends him? Brilliant, buddy, brilliant. You are shrewd, you are wise, I, I never knew you had it in you. And why is, why is he commended? He, because his logic is so ingenious and so wise, because going out the door, he's making enough business associations uh, that one day he will be guaranteed a job. And you know that oil company that he was trying to settle up with, when, when they, he reduced that bill by 50%, they're going to remember that guy. They're going to say, you're the guy that saved me all that money. You got a job with us. Come on in. That wheat company, the Jerusalem wheat company, come on in. We got a spot for you. He virtually guaranteed himself a job by making friends on his way out the door. He is called wise, listen to me, because he leveraged present earthly opportunity. He leveraged that for his guaranteed future. Not only... Is this a picture of incredible business wisdom? But, but God puts this parable in there for us because it is really all about spiritual wisdom. Why is this so absolutely incredibly wise? Why is this a great model for us? First of all, number one, because it's based on an eternal perspective. Here is a guy who's thinking about his future. He's, and, and so he begins in verse 9, after we got to uh, verse 8, he says, And I say to you, this is the application for us, this is the application for you. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Use money, use mammon, that when you fail, you may receive, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. Now it's not just about job. It's about a future kingdom God has in store for us, an eternal heavenly kingdom that is forever and ever and ever. 
that is going to be unbelievable, that is going to be incredible, that is beyond comprehension. And he says, make friends with money now so you can come into your everlasting habitation and be welcome there by every single person you gave to and you helped and every missionary you supported and everybody you funded along the way with un." righteous mammon with just stuff with just money it doesn't mean anything but because you've sowed it in the kingdom of god you're going to have a great reception day one day wise wise second he says it is the key to spiritual growth now turn to verse number 10 this is critical listen to this who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Now, in the context here, he's talking about he that is faithful in the least, he's talking about money. If you're faithful in the least of these things and how you handle your money, I will make you a ruler over much spiritual riches. The mysteries of God. Now, if I said, how many want to grow spiritually? Everybody hand would go up. Yeah, I want to grow spiritually. I love God. I want to grow spiritually. I've asked how many tithe. You're not going to grow spiritually until you get the elementary little stuff down. How do you expect to handle true spiritual riches if you can't even give generously? If you can't even get involved in your tithe? Boy, it's quiet in here. I just read this to you. Let me read it again. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. You know, sometimes you look at people that tithe regularly or are very generous or give 15% of their income or 20% of their income and they're given to missions and they're always giving away. Sometimes you look at those guys like they're spiritual giants, like they're really onto something and these guys are real spiritual giants. But, but God's word says generous living is like the ABCs of spiritual growth. It's like getting to first base. It's just starting. It's just beginning. Because when God knows he can trust you with little or unrighteous mammon, then he can begin to pour all kinds of spiritual oversight into your life. If you can handle something as simple as his finances, uh, he can hand, you can handle anything in the kingdom of God. It's the starting point for spiritual growth. Unless you, are not, unless you are learning not to let money choke the life out of you and make you a servant and make you a debtor and make you a slave. Unless you're getting God's basic principles of stewardship down. Unless you take it from your head to your heart that everything is God's and I'm simply a steward of it, you're not ready to handle, be a steward of the mysteries of God. Spiritual stewardship is a whole nother level. Now, let, let, let listen to this. This is where God gives you oversight over someone else's soul. This is not just about oversight over money. Now he makes you a mentor. Now he puts you over else in somebody's life. Now you begin to pour into them. And, and God gives you spiritual stewardship uh, uh, where God can use you to bring life change. That's why God called us. That's why God saved us. 
And so, so you move from just handling his stuff and his time and talents and treasures to now he puts me and gives me oversight over the spiritual life and spiritual well-being of other people. And now God may use you to rescue a marriage or help somebody on a deep spiritual level or you will use as a teacher in God's kingdom and begin to declare with the anointing of the Holy Spirit the glorious riches of God. And you'll be like the Apostle Paul handling the mysteries of God. I'm a steward of God's mysteries. Uh, but he can't entrust that with you if you can't handle the small stuff. God tests us spiritually, listen to me, with worldly blessings, worldly treasures, first of all, to see where our heart is. And he finds out right away if you're really worshiping God or you're worshiping mammon, yourself. So the first test is what are you going to do with your purse, ladies, or your wallet, men, and what you do with this little thing called money. And he says if you're faithful in the little things, the stewardship principle, I'll make you ruler over much. I'll give you oversight over much in the spiritual realm. Look at verse 12. You can't get more direct than this. This is God's word. This is Jesus giving the parable. These are, these are in red in your Bibles. Listen to me. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, if you can't handle God's stuff, who will give you what is your own? How can you have more responsibility until you get stewardship down? If, uh, if, can you imagine Chip going back up to John and they're, they're having their filet mignon and... Uh, John says, okay, show me the checkbook. Tell me what you did. Tell me who you helped. Tell me what's going on. And Chip Scratch says, well, I, I don't know how to say this, John, but I'm about $400 off. I can't find it. I, I don't know where it went to. I can't account for where that $400 went out of your checking account. Do you think John is going to say, great job, here's some more? If you're not trustworthy with somebody else's stuff, namely God's, how will you be prepared to have responsibility in more significant spiritual areas? Now, number three, the reason this is so brilliant and so wise is because it is absolutely the gateway to intimacy. This is the key to getting close to God. You thought it was prayer. You thought it was coming to church. This is the gateway. This is the opening to getting close to God. And we see it again in verse 13. Look at it. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jump down to verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money, you see the tie-in? They were serving mammon. The Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. They attacked him. Now, let me give you just a little backdrop on the Pharisees and I've got to go quickly here. The Pharisees thought that if you were wealthy, that was the blessing of God, but that earned you special favor and points with God. And so the more money you had, the more God must love you. And so if I'm rich, it means God loves me. And so they exploited the people in order to get rich. And then they kind of paraded around and showed everybody how rich they were, indirectly saying, this is how favored of God I am. 
And then Jesus tells this incredible story about being generous and being a steward, and it's all God's. And what do they do? Because they love money, they derided Jesus. And some of you may be sitting here today, you got a little Pharisee blood in you. You say, why is that preacher preaching on money? No, nobody in here. That, I, that, that's, that's another church. It's not here. It's not happening here. I don't believe it is. But, but, but we've got to be careful because there's always a struggle between God and mammon. The struggle goes on, and it's a very real struggle, and it goes on in every single one of our lives. It goes on in my life. I probably got a little Pharisee blood inside of me. I don't like it. I don't like that part of me. I don't want that part of me, but that struggle, that battle goes on. There is always that test going on. It happens. And so we've got to be careful. And so the Pharisees thought, you know, uh, and, 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 and here they, they had this conception that because they were wealthy, they were close to God. Jesus says, if you really want to get close to God, learn to be generous. Learn to manage my stuff. Learn to give it away. It was actually the opposite of what the Pharisees had already believed. He says, true disciples, if you get this principle, if your heart's right, you can move on to spiritual riches. Realizing and living out this in your life that God is the owner of all means I all of a sudden begin to consult him with every decision I make about how best to handle his stuff. And so uh, uh, so he starts with money management, which is the very most basic. And then when I get that down, he begins to deal with me on time management And I want to use my time wisely for the glory of God. And then he moves on into the use of my spiritual gifts and the use of my spiritual abilities. And finally, I get to the point where the Apostle Paul says, in everything, whatever you do, give glory to God. Everything, it covers it all. And all of a sudden, because I keep consulting God about my money, my time, and my talents, God and I are developing this great relationship. We're getting close. I'm getting close to his heart. I'm finding out what his desires are, what his will is. I'm talking to him about all the decisions I make. And all of a sudden, what's happening is God is really becoming my best friend. It's not just a theological person we talk about on Sunday to make us feel better. He's actually a part of every single day of my life because he's involved in every decision I make. That's kingdom living, and it's exciting. God's not miserly. God's not tight. God is lavish. God is generous. And he wants to give. And he wants to love. And he wants to care for his people. But how does he do it? He does it through us. So he's looking for people he can flow his resources through to bless other people. He wants to rejoice over us. He wants to delight over us. But he can only do that if our hearts are his. How do we determine if our hearts are his? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So once he knows he has our hearts, he can use us in incredible ways to be a blessing in his kingdom. And then he just, we just rejoice in the light with God. And, and then God says, well, hey, come on up and get some filet mignon. Come on up and get some lobster. Enjoy my goodness. Just enjoy it. Every day we wake up and we need to ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to do with your time? What do you want me to do with your talents? 
What do you want him to do with your treasures that you've entrusted into my care? And in the process, you become best friends because you're talking to God and you feel his presence. That's why it's so wise to be a steward. Now, the third thing is this. Let's get practical. What's the practice of stewardship? How do we practically put this into place? Get this down. This is the key today, the practice of stewardship. Number one, you've got to know God's purpose for you. If God has placed us on this earth to fulfill his purposes with our time, talent, and treasures, how can I do that if I don't know what his purposes are? So it stands to reason if I'm going to implement this in my life, I'm going to need it from my head to my heart. I've got to know what his purpose for me is. And so uh, let me give you his purposes. Three things real quick. Jot these down. Number one, his purpose always first and foremost is the great commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. God is concerned about every lost person on planet earth. And because God loves, his main desire is to reach them. He wants them to hear the gospel. He wants them to come to know him. He wants them to experience that freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, He died for them. He gave his life for them. And he wants them to come into fellowship with him. And so that's his number one purpose, the Great Commission. Number two, God's concerned about the body of Christ. He wants his church built up strengthened and established and he writes about that in the book of ephesians that that we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god he wants us to grow into maturity he wants us to find our spiritual gifts so we can minister to one another more effectively god wants to use us to minister to each other in the household of faith and number three god is passionate about the hurting you read the bible just read it in the old testament new testament god is passionate about hurting people he talks a lot about the widows and the orphans. He'll be, a, he'll be a husband to the widow. He'll be a father to the fatherless. He cares about them. His heart breaks when he sees them in the ghettos and in the slums. And he sees them not having shoes on their feet and not good clean water to drink and living in filth and squalor. He, his heart literally is torn apart by, by the, those things. Passionate about hurting people. Broken people. So if your resources are directed that way to advancing the kingdom of God, to ministering to one another in the body of Christ, to reaching out to hurting people, you are lighting your resources up with God's purpose for your life. Isn't that good? Somebody get excited here. Somebody smile, shout. This is good news. Number two. If I want to be practical about my stewardship, number two is examine your giving. Examine your giving. Uh, Do I give off the top of my income? Is my offerings to God, is my generosity, is my tithing, is that my first fruits? Is that the very first thing I do and give? Because if it's first, it reminds you of your commitment to God. It reminds you that God owns everything. So when the ushers come down on Sunday morning and they pass out the, 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 the bags and you put your tithe in there, what you're doing is you're saying, God, you're the owner and I'm a steward and I'm the manager and I'm giving you this check first before I pay SCE and G, uh, before I pay my water bill, before we go out to eat three times this week. Uh, I, I'm putting this in here because God, you are first. Great, great 
principle. He calls it the tithe. Uh, there's reference to the first fruits in the word of God. And it means uh, I'm reminding myself that God is Lord. He's Lord of my life. He owns it all. And so, and it also, when you begin to tithe and you begin to give to the work of God, it breaks that stranglehold or chokehold that mammon can come in and get in our lives. It's good. Number three, number two, uh, how, how do you, uh, do this? And you'll ask yourself, begin to ask the question, am I keeping a careful accounting of the owner's funds? Just remember the story of John and Chip. So as you begin to understand stewardship, am I keeping a careful counting of the owner's funds? Uh, do we know where the money went last month? You see, we know about the first 10%, but we sometimes fail to remind ourselves that's just symbolic that God owns it all. So I'm responsible not only just for 10%, but how I handle his other 90% that he's blessed me with. Do you have any, even a semblance of a of budget in your life? Do you have a, a budget? Are you living out a budget? Do you have some kind of something going on that, that, that keeps you accountable for the way you handle God's checkbook? It's impossible to be a good steward of someone else's money if you don't know where and have not predetermined how that is going to be spent. And that is simply called a budget. A budget tells me where it's going. This is practical. This is the practice of steward. Budget tells me where it's going, and it predetermines where I'm going to allocate my resources to maximize those for their very best use. It's practical, simple stuff. Uh, in August, I, I talked to Pastor Craig. When we kick life groups up, we're going to take a little break during the summertime. We kick our life groups back up. We're going to have a, a class on crown financial principles. And so if you have struggled with the budget, and you're struggling with debt, and you can't make the numbers work, Take this class. It will revolutionize and change your spending and your management and everything else of God's stuff. And even now in your life groups, you're, 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 when you get together on Wednesday nights, you're talking about how to be a steward and how to apply these principles to your life. And so I encourage you to be involved. I want to challenge you guys. If, you, if your uh, finances are out of control, I, you, know, I, you don't have to write every single little thing down unless you're in a mess. And then you might need to go back and write every single little thing down to figure out. But I want to encourage you over the next 30 days, keep track of everywhere you spend your money. At the end of those 30 days, go back and look at how you've spent God's money. And I think you will be amazed at how much we literally waste. I've heard people say, I can't do it. It's impossible. It's not there. They've never, ever sat down and looked at where the money's going to, where the leaks are. Encourage you to do a buzz. And number three, uh, ask yourself this question. Am I becoming a friend of the owner? Am I a friend of the owner? Uh, celebrate together. It's okay if, 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 if uh, uh, there's always this struggle and battle going on with our selfishness and who we're serving and who the Lord is. But, but in this sharing these sermons, I don't want you to revert to legalism. Uh, I, I want to bring freedom into your life. I want to see you move into freedom. But we need to balance sacrificial giving with the joy and celebration of knowing God and being with God and fulfilling the Father's wishes. And when there's a balance there, all of a sudden you can begin to enjoy his blessings. 
If God's blessed you with a nice car, don't feel guilty when you go out today and drive that nice car out of the parking lot. If God's blessed you with a nice house, you're not supposed to feel guilty when you go back to that house. If he's blessed you with other things in your life, this sermon is not about trying to pour guilt on you. Those are the blessings of God. Those are enjoying the fullness of the Lord and all that is in there. That's giving thanks to God. But the main thing is, are your priorities straight? What's first in your life? God said, seek ye first my kingdom. And I'll add everything else you need to your life. I'll take care of all the rest. And so if you're a generous person, God begins to bless us in so many incredible ways. In areas of time, talent, and resources. Uh, Begin to enjoy God's blessing. Once in a while, it's okay just to have a filet mignon or a little lobster. And rejoice and laugh with God. God's a loving God. God's a generous God. God is a lavish God. Generosity is not done to manipulate God to make him love you more. You don't give in the offering to say, God, now will you love me more because I've done this. God will never love you any less than he does right now. No matter where you're at in this journey, God will never, ever love you any less than he does right now. But it's about us getting to know him. It's about us getting to know the owner and celebrating his love and celebrating his blessings. Uh, That's what it's all about. It's okay to have an extravagant lunch with your father. Stewardship is not feeling guilty over anything nice in your life. It's about ordering your finances according to his purposes and his priorities. It's about gazing and getting to know your loving, generous father who says, spend it in a way pleasing to me. Be a good steward, understand I own it all, and then let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate life and joy together. Story opened up with Chip and John, and uh, he had the privilege of pastoring him for many years. And, and, And Chip says that the story really never, ever ended, even though John died. Because when John died, he said the story just goes on and on. And he says, you talk about an extravagant lunch, an extravagant meal. He says, now John's in heaven. And the Bible said he's been welcomed by all those friends he met on the earth. And on the earth, they may have never known who gave them the money, who paid their light bill, who paid their rent bill, uh, who took care of that baby that was born, or who took care of the hospital bills. They may have never known on the earth who did that, but when they get to heaven, we'll know as we are known, and all things will be revealed. Uh, And now all those people are coming up to John and saying, John, thank you for giving. Uh, Thank you for what you did. And because you helped me out, uh, I saw the love of Jesus Christ, uh, and I asked the Lord to come into my heart and life. uh, And because of you, I'm in heaven right now today. And there's a great, great celebration. And he says it goes on and on and on. Listen, God made you for eternity, not just for right now. So like John, so like the shrewd business manager in Luke chapter 16, let's use worldly wealth to make friends who will one day welcome us in. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.